Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern-day believers live out the teachings of the first-century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this episode. The latest fad in social media and elsewhere is for users to post their preferred pronouns in their bio. The idea, of course, is that others shouldn't assume your gender identity. And and you know that the underlying belief behind this practice is that gender is a social construct and not a biological fact. Now, as Christians, we try to be kind to everybody. But how should we respond when somebody asks to be identified in a way that contradicts their biology? And this may seem like a ridiculous question to some people, but Christians, especially I'm thinking about younger believers who are in high school and college and even in the workplace, they're facing this challenge. And if we know somebody's biological sex, but they ask us to address them in a way that contradicts uh, reality, how should a Christian respond to that? This is indeed an important question. It raises a lot of issues. And so let me establish kind of the parameters first and give some information. On the one hand, we want to be very clear about the truth of God's word. On the other hand, we want to be compassionate towards people, sinners, who may not understand the truth. Um, So in general, my philosophy in dealing with people especially people that do not share our beliefs. So maybe I'm dealing with an atheist or a Buddhist or a Muslim or someone who's in a homosexual lifestyle or now a transgender lifestyle. And it may be a friend or a family member or a coworker. So you try to walk the fine line in the terms I use, acceptance of them as a person, but not approval of their conduct or their lifestyle. So you try to communicate I believe you are created the image of God. You're a child of God. I believe you are a person for whom Jesus Christ died, whom Jesus loves. On the other hand, that does not mean I approve of your choices, your conduct, your behavior, your lifestyle. So somehow we try to uh, communicate both. And that's where the challenge comes. Now, why, why this is important is a a survey, a Gallup survey just came out recently. And for people born before 1946, less than 1% of Americans identified themselves as LGBTQ. But among Generation Z, which would be the young adults right now, 21% identified, which is mind-boggling, shocking. Now, over half of that 20% said, well, they're bisexual. So it's really something where they're kind of saying, I could be attracted. Uh, but but I think with a biblical teaching, they could easily channel their attraction in, in an appropriate way. So it's not quite as bad as the 21%, but still, that's huge. Now, what that does show is we're not primarily dealing with something biological. We're primarily dealing with a cultural shift where people are being indoctrinated, they're being trained, they're being recruited, their minds are being deceived, they're trying to be politically correct, they're trying to identify with something that seems to be rebellious or exciting or on the edge. It's not truly a biological or physical or psychological phenomenon. 
but but notice again, you mentioned young adults or or even like teenagers. This is a real thing where twenty percent, twenty one percent of their peers are claiming to have one of these identities. Uh, then it also becomes difficult because now there's some employers and in schools that are requiring their employees. So you could actually lose your job. Uh, there was a recent case, however, that, that supported um, our freedom of speech that you don't, uh, it, it looks like the law is going to uphold that you don't have to conform uh, to your employer's uh, requirements. Although I can see social ostracism or subtle ways of penalizing you and denying you uh, promotions and raises and so on. Uh, so, you know, may, again, maybe the way we could approach this, um, I, I look at two extremes. So let's say someone uh, comes to you, you know, they, they appear to be a woman, you, you meet them for the first time, they introduce themselves with a very feminine name, they're dressed like a woman. And what's ironic to me is a lot of these uh, transgender women, they will definitely wear skirts. <laughs> Uh, they will definitely try to choose a very feminine, uh, what we consider a feminine uh, attire. But anyway, so you don't really know. And, and so you address them by the name. They've introduced themselves. You refer to him as she. And then later somebody tells you, oh, did you know that person, you know, 10 years ago transitioned? Well, what are you going to do? Go up to them and say, I reject your name. So that's what you know them by. So in that case, you probably would, you're not condoning what they've done. But what they've done is done, and it's history, and you don't know anything about it. What are you going to do? That's all you know them is. It's kind of like, let's say, uh, a man commits adultery and leaves his wife and marries a second wife, and, and then you meet them. And so, well, this is my wife. Well, okay, good to meet you, Mrs. So-and-so. And then somebody says, do you know he you know, he divorced his first wife, he committed adultery with this person here, and so you're going to go back some, hey, I, I reject your marriage. You, you know, you're a sinner. You're not Mrs. So-and-so. Mrs. So-and-so is this other woman. My, my point being, if it's an accomplished fact and you you only know this person as this person, that might be one way of treating it. However, you're dealing with a friend, a, a colleague, or a teenager, and all of a sudden they say, well, I want you to call me by this other name. Then, Then I think, well, no, I'm not because – I would be condoning a choice you're making. So I use those illustrations to say, in general, I think we should not do anything that would support someone making a sinful choice. We should resist that. And we do have freedom of speech. We do have freedom of religion. And I think we, we keep in mind, I accept them as a person. I don't approve of their choice. If you can find a way to do that, so in most cases, that probably is going to mean that someone who is trying to transition or recently transitioned or someone you know, that you would not go along with their false narrative. And I think I do. We did have an earlier podcast where I talked about this, but I think I should cover this again because it's so important. Of course, from the biblical perspective, it's absolutely clear. Genesis 1, God created male and female. So this is God's idea. It's not multiple genders. There's male and there's female. And that is carried consistently throughout Scripture. And that's true even in biology and science. Um, this transgender 
uh, idea is contrary to science. So let's say you don't even believe in God. All you believe in is evolution. Well, evolution teaches survival of the fittest. It teaches reproduction of the species. Well, obviously, neither homosexuality nor transgenderism is functional in that regard. So I'm, I'm not wanting to en- engage in hate speech, certainly. But to be honest, we should recognize that this transgender idea is not biblically true. So if you believe in a creator, as we do, it would be contrary to God's creative intention for your life. But even from a biological point of view, it doesn't propagate the species. So at best, it would be an aberration, a dysfunction, a, a mistake, a problem, a, you know, an error <laughs> that you would fix. And so normally, if somebody comes to you with a delusion or fantasy that's altering their life, you wouldn't cater to that. You would try to give them cognitive therapy to help them understand reality. So if somebody comes to a a psychologist or psychiatrist and says, well, I'm Adolf Hitler and I demand this and this and this. So you wouldn't say, well, grow a mustache and learn German and uh, we'll, we'll help you out here. You would say, wait a minute. No, that's false. And you would try to give them theory to conform their mistaken idea to the reality of their life. And what really is tragic to me, and especially with children who are are not, by law, are not capable of giving consent. So when it comes to child abuse, you know, we say they're not even capable of consenting to a sexual relationship. Um, Even if they consent, it's considered statutory rape. But yet we're going to let them choose to change their body. And then we give them hormone blockers. And, and give them different hormones, puberty blockers and, and hormones that actually will stop them from developing normally and then force them to develop abnormally. It harms their bone structure. It's going to make them infertile. It's going to permanently destroy their ability to function as they were born and the way God created them. And that's a decision they're making as a minor, which they're not even capable of making, and but it's going to affect their whole life. It's going to affect maybe their lifespan, their health, their ability to have children, ability to have family, ability to have a normal physical relationship, sexual relationship. Uh, this is devastating. And so the book I recommended before, but it's called Irreversible Damage by Abigail Schreier. I believe it's her name is S-H-R-I-E-R. And uh, she comes from a liberal Jewish perspective, so it's not Christian, and she's not uh, doesn't have necessarily a biblical view of sexuality. But on this point, she says this is a psychological and sociological phenomenon where our culture is molding, and she focuses on preteen and teen girls. That culture is taking what is normally a, a transitional time into adulthood, which has its own issues, and it's catching these young people at a vulnerable moment and destroying them, a false narrative. Now, also, it's interesting, if you do the research, uh, when I was in college in the, in the 70s, this was cutting edge. This transgender stuff was very minority. But the, the guy who actually created the term of gender identity and sexual orientation was a man named John Money, M-O-N-E-Y, and he had this theory that um, being male or female is strictly a social construct. It's not biological. It's just the way society trains you. And so uh, he wanted to prove his theory. So we found some cases, and, and one particular is, is in a book called um, As Nature 
made him, the boy who was raised as a girl by John Colapinto. It's a tragic story. But he took this, he found this uh, baby boy that uh, circumcision had been performed, but it was botched. And so John Money convinced the family it would be easier to reconstruct your baby surgically as a girl. And since being male or female, strictly uh, how people are raised, just raise him as a girl. He will never know the difference. And so this boy was raised as a girl. As a teenager, he got into all kinds of psychological problems. He kept trying to dress like a boy, act like a boy, get in fights, whatever. And he didn't know his own history until it was finally revealed to him. And then it all made sense. Um, and so he turned back to a boy, got married, and so on. Sadly, he had lots of psychological problems. He ended up committing suicide. But all during this time, John Money promoted this story and others as dramatic case studies of success, proving his theory. Now, he didn't do it scientifically accurately, and he hid the details. He didn't let people know the whole story. But he created this whole ideology and narrative that sexual, that that being male and female, or gender as it's called, is a social construct. And he used examples like this, which actually turned out to be false. He also promoted pedophilia, sex with children. If the children would consent, then it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. It's nothing psychologically wrong. So this kind of evil person, his motive was to totally uh, wipe out any norms for sexual behavior and promote pedophilia. But he created this theory. And here's the tragedy. What I just said, you can verify it just by going to Wikipedia. He's been totally 100% discredited after his death. But the ideology created is now the standard accepted ideology. So the whole ideology is on a false narrative, and it's on an evil narrative. Now, now the people that are promoting this, I think many of them are very sincere. They don't have a biblical background, and so they honestly think certain people are psychologically affected, and this is the treatment. This is the cure. And so to answer your question, we cannot support that ideology. So we cannot cater to that false narrative, that fantasy. I really regard it, especially as, you know, we live in a pluralistic society. So an adult that makes some choices, even though I may severely disagree, uh, I feel like we're, we're limited in what we can do as a society and as a culture and as a law. But when it comes to minors, we have to draw the line against indoctrination and even much more so against actually allowing any physical changes while they're not even adults. And so to answer your question, I know I've covered a broader subject, but while I, I think we should treat people with respect no matter where what their situation, because we want to be kind and courteous and friendly in order to build a bridge to win them to the Lord. And I, we do have some examples uh, I, I remember uh, a man in the Austin area that came into one of our daughter works and uh, he felt like he was supposed to be a woman. So he took the hormones to change his body. He began to dress like a woman, everything. He came into our church, repented, was baptized, received the Holy Ghost. He became convicted. He had done everything but the actual surgery. And so he transitioned back because he felt that was God speaking to him. So there are examples of where people can be delivered. So I do think we want to try to treat everyone as as a person for whom Jesus Christ died, which means we treat them with respect, love, kindness, and pray for them. 
And so to that extent, I think we should try to relate to whomever comes to our church or in or comes into our life uh, that we can influence for Jesus Christ. But when it comes to supporting a false narrative, especially that affects children so greatly, we can't compromise and we can't cooperate. We've got to be kind but firm on what is true, most of all biblically, but now even medically and scientifically. And it's amazing to me, some medical doctors... And interestingly, some transgender pioneers who made this transition as adults have come out to say, you know what, this is a very difficult process and a difficult decision, and we made this decision, but no child should make this decision. And while I disagree with these people's choices, I really appreciate they're honest enough to face medical and physical reality, and we can do no less. We have to support God's plan And there are a few anomalous cases at birth. In those difficult cases, uh, genetic problems, which ultimately is caused by the sin of the human race, we, we find trusted medical professionals that will share our values to help us decide what is the best way to treat those extremely rare cases. But aside from that, we have to reinforce God created you as male or God created you as female, we want to support you in every way of maintaining and affirming your God-given identity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment to give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. We also appreciate it when you share Apostolic Life in the 21st Century with a friend or family member. And make plans to join us again next time as we look at how the Bible applies to everyday life.